Hello, it's Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. This one is part two of three parts from December 2nd, 2013. Vernon Reed is my guest in the studio. The topic is Ronald Shannon Jackson. What else needs to be said? Some tunes would be, you know, works in progress that we we work on it for a while. And then... um, he, you know, sometimes he was like, oh, "Y'all ain't ready. Y'all ain't ready for this too. Y'all ain't ready for this too." <laughs> and you know, then we 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 would uh, work on something. Sometimes we would work on it all the way through to completion. He would change parts. He would throw parts out. He would have blip back. He would have the main main melody. Then he'd have subsequent like what do you call background parts or variations. Um, like you know, many times there would be working out what would be the accompaniment, the counter rhythm, and, and things like that. You know, and, and and also harmonically, you know, we really shaped it harmonically because he didn't really, didn't really, you know, we would piece together the harmony of, of the pieces, you know, because he really wrote melodies primarily. Um, but, you know, he, he knew when it sounded right and when it didn't sound right. Mm. He'd be like, he, you know, he... <laughs> Yeah, if it wasn't, you know, he would, he could, he could, he could let you and let you have it. He would let us have it. You know, what would would that mean? What would that mean? What would that? What would that mean? What would that mean? I can't. Oh man, (laughs) I don't know what you think. I don't know who you think you're dealing with. I don't know what you think. You know, (laughs) I don't know who you think you are. What you think you're dealing with? But it ain't what you think it is. Or words to that general effect. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you did it. You know, you would tell who you would single out a particular person for. You know, who who was the person that was BSing at one time or another? <laughs> I listen to the tape. I listen to the tape. I listen to the tapes every night. Let me tell you something. Blah 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 blah. I don't know who you think you're trying to fool. <laughs> <laughs> but well, his his commitment, tough love. But I mean, and, and leading by example. Right? Oh, yeah, he was... yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was, he was, I mean, it was, um, I mean, it was a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. We had a lot of fun. And when we, when he was happy with the way a piece turned out, it was, it was, it was joy. He was, you know what I mean? Because, I mean, it would sound like something. I remember when Iola, you know, you know, that, that, you know, because he loved Texas, you know? I mean, Texas was difficult. Texas is, you know, he was a New York cat, but he loved Texas. He was a Texas guy. And when we did Iola, you know, I remember, man, how happy he was. You know, he was like, that's, you know, that's it. And it really, you know, it's the sound of a dusty road, you know. It's a, I mean, it's a sound, you know, it's a sound of, of yellow flowers in the sun. You know, it's a sound of, you know, a, a, a little pond, you know, fishing in the creek, you know? I mean, it's it's all of that. And um, and so, you know, from something like Iola to something like Street Priest, which was just, you know, I mean, harmonic psychedelia, you know, it's yeah. like hardcore. I mean, that was, I mean, that Street Priest was really about, to me, it was about, you know, like mean streets, like Martin Scorsese, like, you know, like Hell's Kitchen, like, Boom, you know, yeah. because he also, you know, he had, a, you know, he had a life, you know, he had a life, he had done time, he'd been through some things, you know what I mean? 
He had to get straight. He he went through it. He went through it. And all of that, all of that, you know, good times, bad times, sentimental times, hard luck times, all of that found voice in his music. His, I mean, his music was so true to life to me. His music was about life, the way people live it, good, bad, warts and all. And um, and that's something that I cherish about about the decoding society and Ronald Shannon Jackson, what he did, what he what the, what he forged with us in the decoding, what he and what he continued to do with all the subsequent bands. Um, Red, the Red Warrior Band, and and so on and so forth. You know, um, he he um, kept taking in these signals. You know, and all those contradictions and all the conflicts and all of the stuff. He would transformed it into art, because you know that's really what art is: transforming your confusion, your madness, your contradictions, your insanity, and you know, and putting that on the canvas, you know, putting that on the canvas, putting that, putting that out there. You know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not this thing you study all your life and do everything perfect and then everything is perfect. Yeah, that's the kind of art that, that there's a kind of, a place, there certainly is a place for that. But you know, I, like I really got it, you know, like, like I said, I went to Paris with him and I fell in love with the city. And I'll tell you the thing that made me fall in love with it was seeing Jackson Pollock for the first time. You know, I had a day off and I went to the Pompidou, um, the Modern Art Museum in Laal. And and I'd heard about Jackson Pollock my whole life, you know. And he was controversial saying, oh man, my, my five-year-old kid could do that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or he's the greatest thing ever, right? So I went, had a, an exhibit of, of Jackson Pollock's and it was a black and white painting and it literally sucked the air out of my chest. I mean, it was a physical sensation. And in that moment, I got it. I got it. And I got it because that, you know, the next night I was going to be playing with it, the, the Decoding Society. So I saw my first Jackson Pollock, like the air was sucked out of my chest and like his rage and his feeling was still embedded in the canvas. Mm-hmm. It was still there. It was fresh and raw. And when I got that, um, then I then that was actually a moment when I got it. You know, like I wouldn't have got it. if I had just if I had not been playing with the Decoding Society and Ronald Shannon Jackson, and if I'd seen a Jackson Pollock painting, I would have admired it. Mm. I would have I would have admired it. I would have thought it was interesting. But having had the experience the night before of playing a kind of music that took me literally outside of myself, which led me open the next day, my day off, when I saw the painting and it had a physical effect on me, I realized at that moment that that's that this is what art is. This is this is this is it. And um, for me, you know, Shannon is one of the great artists. And, you know, he, um, has he gotten his full appreciation? Hells no. You know, not not nearly enough. He was so prolific. And he wrote, I mean, his music really went so many different places. But none of the places his music went is the everyday place, you everyday thing 
that defines quote unquote jazz or the everyday thing that defines what rock and roll is. You know, it, it's his his music is so rooted and so grounded, but also so outside of what you hear and see every day. I mean, it's like a music of an American, like a great American who had an American experience and also an American who engaged with the world, the whole world. And yet and still, his music is, you know, is considered avant-garde. And, and uh, you know, I love pop music. It's not even a vibe against pop music. You know, there are a lot of times people go into a whole bag about, well, you know, this, that, and the other thing, and what happened to the music. You know, I love pop music. In fact, Chandler loved pop music, and that those crazy elements of pop music are in his music, turned sideways and inside out. That's the thing about Shannon's music. Shannon's music is carnival music and it's sideshow music and it's march music and it's blues music and it's rock music and it's music like it's music from another planet but he's not claiming to be Sun Ra. You know, it's not, that's, that wasn't his thing. So, you know, I've, I mean, so when, when we were in that rehearsal room, it was like he wanted you to not you know, he he could he, you BSing him was not a problem because he didn't you know because he knew what he did not want you to do most of all was not BS yourself. You can try to BS me; that's not gonna work. It's fine. You can entertain yourself with trying to do that. From Shannon's perspective, mm-hmm. like, you, you, you can try, but what he really is is don't BS yourself. Don't tell yourself you're doing something that you ain't really doing. Don't, don't, you know what I mean? I mean, he, I, I actually started studying with Bruce Johnson and Ronnie Jones during my tenure with Shannon because I had to get some other things happening, you know, because he, he kicked my ass. You know, they were <laughs> my ass a lot. How do you mean? Like, what what kinds of things? Over what and and? Well, you know, trying to be, you know, trying to, you know, you trying to play these scales, man. It's not about your scales. Oh, yeah, that was something like, he would say a lot. That he wanted people who knew, who knew how music should be structured and knew what theory was, but when they started to play, leave it just leave it outside the room. Which yeah. is hard to do. He wanted you to. He wanted you to be your. He wanted you to find yourself. You need to find yourself, and then you need to be yourself. His, I mean, these things seem like easy things. They they're very hard because he was he was a hundred percent when he was playing the drums. He was a live wire. He was pure will. You know, he's pure impulse. You know, he was um, a force of nature. And you're being buffeted by winds and lightning and thunder, and that's what was happening. So if you weren't either, if you were not ready to go with the flow or be a reed in the wind and bend, you know what I mean? If you weren't, if you weren't deft in how to move, 
You know, you could get, you know, get. He would, he would hate it if you got stuck on some, if you got stuck on something, or if you tried to, you know, you trying to. He didn't like, you know, he didn't mind if you if you're gonna show up, but he didn't like, he didn't like it if it felt forced. I remember you reminded me of something. A show. You might remember. I think this was at the public theater, and a saxophonist in the band did a big showboat solo drop to his knees. Oh yeah. I didn't want to name names, but don't 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 please don't. <laughs> please don't. You got to protect the living from, you know. <laughs> You're listening to WKCR FM New York. I'm Mitch Goldman. Trying Adam. to out, trying to out people on these, on these <laughs> no, airwaves. I don't know what you're you know, talking don't, about. Don't dropping no dozens on people, man. <laughs> dropping dozens. Vernon Reed. Innuendo. <laughs> you know what they say. Hmm. Mm. Out the door. Innuendo. Putting Ronald Shannon Jackson in deep focus. Yeah. And, um, but I was, I don't know if there was a particular reaction to that backstage, but I remember a vibe from that. That's some, when even, even a mere audience member caught the vibe of that. Yeah. Well, you know, he, he was also, amu- you know, he would be, he would also be amused by antics and, you know, and, it, but, you know, the thing is the music, you know. If your antics got in the way of the music, that was going, you know, you were going to hear all about it. You know, if you if you made it happen, if your antics made it happen, you can, you can stand on your head, chew bubble gum, and tap your toe. You can do all of that. In fact, he would he would find it very entertaining, mm-hmm. you know, if you did stuff like that. But if you but if any of your antics, when it's time to come back in, if you weren't mm-hmm. there, like he was, I'll tell you what, he was a stickler for clams. You know, he did not mm-hmm. like a clam, mm-hmm. you know. He he liked his he liked his clams, you know, oregano. But that was it. He he didn't want no clams on the bandstand. Trust. Mm-mm. You also, you had to know where you were in the music. Yeah, well, you know, the thing is, he you know, you know we had, you had lots of music written, and his thing was he didn't want music on the bandstand. So you had to, you know, you had to. You had to have it together, and a lot of these pieces were really, really complex, and complex in ways that are. Not, I mean, he had just really odd spacings and odd intervals, and you know, um, you know, the, a lot of the music was really technically a, a challenge, even though it wasn't technical. Te- mm. You know what I mean? But, oh yeah, I remember had, had, talking to him stuff. about that. He said, "Because uh, I remember looking at some sheet music with him. I'm not a musician, but I said, aren't there some things missing here?" He said, "Well, you know, you look at the way Paganini wrote music." He said he. There, it's not necessarily following a straight up four four. It's he's flowing, he's breathing. Yeah, Shannon was uh, Shannon was always in the music shops. He would always go into the music shops like Padelson's. He would always hang out at Padelson's. Padelson's was a fantastic music store on West Fifty Sixth Street, where that classical musicians, classical musicians, you know, you get your, your you get your score paper and your right across the street from yeah. the stage door at Carnegie Hall. Yeah, yeah. So he was he was at that, and he was a, he was also a pen freak. Yes, he had a whole thing about pens. You know, pens were pens were his thing. We would go on pen missions. He would, <laughs> he would know about some man. He was. Really into the whole fountain pen thing. He was he was he was a collect, he was a real collector. And I I can only imagine he's got quite a collection because he was sounds he like was, someone else I know. 
at the Marché aux puces. You know, he was. He would write with a flourish. He would write. <laughs> right. You know, the pen couldn't get in the way of his. The, the pen had to add to the flourish. The pen could not get in the way of the flourish. If the pen, if the pen had any kind of drag to it, it was out the door. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Making, yeah. Uh, yeah, he'd make set lists, have his book, composition book, or a mm-hmm. pad. Yeah, and set lists, set lists were, were funny, too, because, you know, that was, a, that was a whole process. You're making set lists. It was, man, it was a lot of fun. A lot of crazy stuff, man. We had, we had crazy stuff, man. We worked hard. We worked hard, and we um, we traveled a lot on the trains, on the European trains. And, um, uh, you know, we had URL passes, and, you know, we would, we would go, we'd be in Europe for two months, and we'd have a train pass for two months. And we would... Um, Get, I mean, it was it was crazy. It was like a real military operation. We had to go, get up. Yeah, you're doing shows, one nighters, do one show, do one nighters, neck, and then you had to be in another city the next day. And we used to carry, you know, we carried his big behind sonar drum kit. He had a huge, he had this huge sonar drum kit. And we was and spend many times overnight train rides sleeping on drum cases, and it was it was. A trick. Those, if you have not hefted sonar drums specifically, yeah, the hardware is German manufactured, beautiful, gorgeous, beautiful drums, wooden sculptures, yeah, beautiful drums. musical instruments, yeah. but heavy, yeah, yeah. And he didn't, he had a double, he had a, he was, yeah, two a kick drums, double kick drum kit, yeah, two racked on, double kick drum and all the trimmings, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, that, yeah. What about that trap set, trap case? Oh yeah. The hardware. Oh yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> so we traveled with a bunch of stuff, and uh, you know, I had guitars and a guitar synthesizer. So it was crazy. We 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 um we did it though. We did it though. Well, another thing, Melvin and I talked about this a bit when he was here, that, and we kind of referred to it. You're going to places. The disconnect between the way the band was perceived and the types of venues you might end up in. You might play a jazz venue, right? a jazz aspect of the music, but it's not going to be, you know, a polite little setup like they might be accustomed to. You're playing festivals, you're playing yeah. a big variety of places. Yeah, we, would play, we played festivals, then we played little clubs, and we played like stuff like the Jazz Bunker in Bielefeld, which is like a pit, you know. I mean, it's a fabulous pit, but it was a pit nonetheless, you know. And you're coming in with amplifiers, electric guitars, basses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was. Uh, you know what? We were, you know, we were on the road. We were on the road when that, when, um, when Oregon had that horrible accident. You know, like we, you know, was, we, we were, we were, and we had, we had very dramatic. I mean, dramatic happenings, man. I remember we were playing. We played in 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 Boston uh, and we were at a diner we were at all night diner when the teletype said that that John Lennon had been shot mm. we were in Europe when we were also touring when when uh, when Oregon had that horrible um, bus accident and Colin Wolcott um, died um, we were getting ready to go on tour 
we were at the music building when people were burnt, people were freaking out, and it was uh, we were uh, getting ready to go on a trip, and it, the news came out that uh, Marvin Gaye had been shot, mm. and and it was a it was a trip because people were crying in the streets, people were freaking out. Yeah, it was a uh, you know we we were you know we were part of a kind of ongoing ongoing thing you know, history. We saw stuff. We saw stuff and heard stuff. Did you ever talk to Shannon about the meaning of decoding society? It ain't what you think it is. <laughs> <laughs> In a nutshell, decoding society. Well, he he. And what does it mean to you? Well, you know, he was think. He, uh, in a lot of ways, the his way of thinking about the music was that the music was. Um, we're getting all kind of messages one way and those messages, you know, commercial messages, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's a meritocracy, you know, you work hard and play by the rules, mm-hmm. you, you will be rewarded, you know. And uh, decoding society says, you know, the card pack is fixed, you know. Um, somebody's got their finger on the scale and has always had their finger on the scale. Um, um, who, maybe you're not who, who you think you're supposed to, maybe you're not who you think you're supposed to be. You know, I saw people, I saw people come into that band and have their lives, I mean, my life was transformed and I, like I said, once again, I don't want, you don't want to tell nobody, tell no tales out of school but I saw some stuff go down and we we witnessed people getting decoding, decoded, people got decoded, you know, like, and um, that was, that was a, a lot of what decoding society was about. Listeners might not think that ideas like that could be communicated through instrumental music. But I'm here to tell you that that was very real. And that did come through. And people who, you know, didn't have any direct interaction with you guys personally got that message loud and clear from that band. Loud and clear. Yeah. Well, his rhythm was different. You know, Shannon's rhythm was different. His pulse, his, the feeling of his pulse, you know, where he came from was both ancient and futuristic. You know, it was, it, you know, he was, um, he was many, many ways outside of time. You know, he, he channeled just, uh, I mean, he just channeled everything. He channeled, like, hard-hearted, sentimental, you know, it was all in those melodies. And um, that's what, that's a lot of what the Decoding Society experience was was about. It was was about hearing something that sounds familiar to you, but you've never heard it before. You're hearing, you're seeing electric, and you're seeing these instruments, two bass players, you know, guitar, electric guitar, saxophone, trumpet, maybe electric violin, but it's not fusion. Mm. It's not. It's not that you know. You may you'll hear things that remind you of things, but it's not any of those things. It's, it's not it's, what it's, you think it's, it is. It's not what you think it is. It's its own thing. Decoding society was its own thing, and that is in 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 a way that is the meaning of decoding society. 
You know, that's it's it's like listening to to Jimi Hendrix. You know, uh, he's another character who he's been heard so much that people have stopped hearing what he actually did. Uh, I mean, what he did, you know, was was transformative. Like you know, like like the Star Spangled Banner. The Star Spangled Banner. Um, I mean. That was a decoding society moment. That was a pure, pure decoding society. Well, you know, uh, Shannon told me that Jimmy asked him to play Woodstock with him. Really? Yeah. He never Jimi told Hendrix. Me, he never told me that he story. He told me that once. Talk, how do you ever tell you that story? <laughs> he told me that Jimmy asked him to play Woodstock and his drums were in hock. And he said, yeah, that, nah. nah. So he could have been in the electric church. Could have been. Could have well, eventually he was. <laughs> he yeah. That is but you know what? <laughs> I, I mean, what you know, hey. Why not? Something you said something really interesting earlier off mic, I think, that uh that this is a perfect time to pick back up. When you guys did that uh USIA tour, which you oh, yeah. could talk about a little bit of what that was, but uh, specifically that you, I guess, was a requirement to do two cover songs. Oh, yeah. Here's this band led by a composer who's writing more songs than he even has a chance to play, and yeah, they had, that was a requirement. They requested that 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 um, that the bands that were part of doing the United States Information Service tours that, that they would do a couple a couple cover tunes. Not a CIA operation. You know, when you say not a CIA operation... I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. But um, I'm very curious what songs Shannon chose. If you called upon Well, to do... we did... We did um, uh, I don't mean to think if it ain't got that swing. We did that. And the other thing we did was Love Me Tender. We did a version of Elvis's Lovely, Love Me Tender. And it's, it's cool. It's really cool. Um, it's on. It's on there. It's on one of these these discs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's it's really really cool, and um, and I remember, um, it was such an interesting, unusual choice, and 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 uh, you know he loved the oh. song. I, I'm remembering the moment seeing him on stage, and didn't he introduce it? Didn't he say something like? Want to play a song by a great American composer? Well, by a great American composer, and then and you 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 see if you recognize it. Yeah, yeah. Just a memory from. Yeah. I haven't heard that. And that's on that. Yeah, and he says, and 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 everybody asks every afterwards who was it? And they say, oh, it's Elvis. You know, Love me tender. Yeah. But it's great. It's like a. It's a cool. It's very um. Kind of a modal, droney. It's cool. It's, it's cool. <laughs> I mean, you I hear it. It's a different, you know, it's like, you know, melody, great melodies can be. I don't know if we're going to get to it tonight, but maybe know. we could slide in. But I, we do have, let me catch everybody up what you're listening to. This is WKCR. I'm Mitch Goldman. We call this show Deep Focus. Vernon Reed is my guest and talking about the man you referred to as your greatest mentor, mm-hmm. Ronald Shannon Jackson. Yep. And a member of his band, the Decoding Society, for. Your, your Wonder Bread years. Yeah. And uh, we've got an, the live recording we were going to go to Camden. We have queued up. Unless you want Oh, yeah, the Roundhouse. That was the, uh, the old train yard in London. 
Yeah, Camden, the roundhouse is where, uh, I won't go into a whole train spotting nerd <laughs> thing. Well, it's a great... It's a great venue. It's a venue great. that's been around for many years where Jimi Hendrix, among many others, did yeah. play. And uh, a cool old uh, wooden, it's a cool old round wooden building. Yeah. Odd, yeah. odd thing in, in Camden, North London. And uh, it's 1983. And um, any recollections of that? It's got some uh, personal it was the first. Well, it was the first time, you know, I was born in London. And... Um, and it was the first time I'd been back to London. And I actually saw my my, my father's sister who I hadn't seen ever. Wow. Yeah, my Aunt Lucy and my Uncle Boston. And uh, yeah, it was funny, man. You know, it was I had a funny moment when, I, you know, because it, it was a big deal for me to go to London again for the first time. And I remember thinking, okay, I was looking forward to it because also it was the first time I was going to see English printed. You know, we were mainly traveling throughout Europe, and and uh, and uh, it was it was it was odd. It was an odd thing because you know it was very very foreign it was for me. So, but it was great to see my the other side of my family who I hadn't seen like since I was born. Did that lend something special to the show or certainly did certainly it did certainly it did and they're not far geographically from where the show was right yeah yeah from paddington i was born in paddington so it's always very odd to contemplate the uk and london and you know in in a alternate universe you know i'm a you know i'm uh wearing a deer stalker cap not where I thought you were going to go. That's funny. You know, but, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I had very odd experiences with, uh, with, uh, with places of origin. And, uh, and I, you know, I had a, you know, it was, it was, it was a special, you know, that playing there was special and being there was special, you know. Come with me, won't you? Let's go in the Wayback Machine. This is WKCR. This is, this is quite unique. This is a live recording that I don't think has seen the light of day. I don't think this has ever been broadcast anywhere in this country. It's Ronald Shannon Jackson and the Decoding Society in Camden, UK, in London, at the Roundhouse, and somewhere in my noisy bag here. I have a list of the personnel, I think, but I'm going to have to find it for you. Maybe I should just uh, play the music and come back. Do you remember who was on that, that gig? Uh, I, oh man, who was on the gig, the Roundhouse? Definitely Bruce. Uh, I, I it was it should be the um. Yeah, right. It's uh, Melvin, Bruce, Zane. Um, so Melvin Gibbs and Bruce Johnson both playing bass. Yeah, both Zane playing Massey bass. playing tenor and other saxophones. Oh, this I, and this is I think. Uh, Unless the oh yeah Henry Scott right this was the uh, Roger Kramer right <laughs> on the premises so this is the band that uh, did uh, a lot of you know decoding society and this this band really you know in a way defined. A lot of my experiences with the Decoding Society, the band with Henry Scott, Zane Massey, 
Henry Scott on trumpets, Amy Massey on saxophones, myself on guitars, Reverend Bruce Johnson on electric bass, Melvin Gibbs on electric bass, and of course our leader, Ronald Shannon Jackson. So now this is the band that made Man Dance. Yeah. And Barbecue Dog. And Barbecue Dog. Yeah. This is some this is this is the business right here. WKCR. Heading over to the Roundhouse. Music from Ronald Shannon Jackson.
Roundhouse, 1983, with Ronald Shannon Jackson and the Decoding Society. This is a stunning document. This is uh, this is all but unknown and never before heard or broadcast. And yet you are hearing it tonight on WKCR. We're doing a program we call Deep Focus. The subject is drummer Ronald Shannon Jackson and our guest tonight, Vernon Reed, who nearly peeled the paint off the walls with that guitar solo. Yeah, well, you know, uh, Shannon, Shannon sort of changed, I mean, my way of, he certainly helped my endurance. <laughs> Playing with him was just like it was relentless. Like he was you you had to you had to you had to swim or sink. So he he I mean playing with him was I mean you 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 had to be young. <laughs> had to be young. <laughs> you had to be all in or you were you know, uh I remember at one point, you know, that um how the band changed, you know, and and, and the the guys around Ronald became younger and younger. And part of it was because, you know, we had wonderful older musicians who were part of the early decoding society, but some of them just, you know, like Shannon, they, you know, they were just not feeling where, you know, Shannon was... was these guys were holdovers from the loft scene that Shannon. Yeah, worked. and there were some some of the Iron U um, folks, and um, you know Shannon wanted to streamline the band because at one time the band was 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 really was really big, um, and then he he wanted to streamline it, you know because. Uh, I mean, the IRU band, I mean, there was Erasto, um, Nana's brother, Erasto Vasconcelos, Bern Nix was in the band, Abdul Munir Fattah was playing cello, Yusuf Yancey was playing trumpet, uh, uh, Charles Brackeen was playing saxophone, and... Billy Bang. Billy Bang. It was great. It went Billy Bang, uh, uh, Byron Lancaster. I mean, it was, I mean, it was a large ensemble. And, uh, and and uh, there's some early shows with that with that decoding society, but then he he really wanted to strip it down. So basically, I mean, he he essentially fired everybody except for me and Melvin. And then from there and from there, you know, he it was like okay, that was too. Um, he needed more voices and more sounds, and so eventually, you know, I I, I recommended. My, my grade school friend Zane Massey, you know. I mean, I mean, we. It's so funny. We went to Catholic school together, so so I know Zane from when. I mean, I knew Zane from when I was like eight, <laughs> something crazy, you know. And what did he bring? What kind of character was he? What kind of musician was? Well, he, he? was. A, well, he was a prodigy, you know. I mean, he was a. Pro, I mean, he was playing great as a child. I mean, we. I remember he man. He showed up one time. We had a school, you know, at the St. Gregory's Catholic School. And I remember Cal Massey, his father, you know, and uh, he had a little talent show, and he brought up a saxophone bigger than him, and he played, he could play. I mean, he, he was like, you know, he could, he could play. So he was he was um, really adept, you know, a re- really, really adept. And, and Shannon and him instantly had a cobra mongoose type of relationship. <laughs> 
And right away. I mean, they they were foils to each other. Man, there were so many funny things that happened. Okay, so one time. So I was like a kind of a, not, I wasn't a vegan, but I was kind of a vegetarian, right? So we we're sitting, we we're in this uh, restaurant in uh, Austria. In this Austrian restaurant, country restaurant. So they bring out this, uh, bring out the soup. Yeah, good. Good luck this, with the vegetarian. No, 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 no. Check it out. Check it out. All right. This this will tell you everything you need to know. Well, not everything you need to know about Zayn Master, but this will tell you a lot. So, we're sitting there. They bring out the soup, and I ask for vegetable soup. So, you know, a lot of times they make the soup with beef stock, right? So, uh, I'm looking at the soup. I'm like going, man, I wonder if this soup is vegetarian. And Zayn stuck his finger in the soup. <laughs> he stuck his finger in the soup and licked his finger. And said, nah, man, it's okay. And I just <laughs> pushed the bowl over to him. The in- Zane Massey. That tells you, that's, you know. The infinite improbability generator. Oh, man. But what a great, pl- what, a, what an amazing saxophonist. Yeah. Yeah, he was a character, character, big, you know, big time, but great, great player. And then uh, Henry is just... Henry Scott playing trumpet on the Yeah, stage. Henry Scott is just, I mean... Firebrand. Inc- I mean, really, really remarkable um, trumpeter. And then, um, of course, Reverend Bruce Johnson and, and Melvin Gibbs. And it was just, you know, the way we interacted, the way, the feeling that that band generated. You know, and there have been variations on that band. Um, you know, that... Uh, at one point, there was a, a Trump, another trumpet player named Dave Gordon, who uh, who came in. And he was he was a he was a very muscular player, you know. He was he came out of Sunrise Band. Now, you describe the way this band worked together, the way songs got written, the way rehearsals went, the way the stage was, and it seems like this was a uh, whole complete concept unto itself that Shannon had this idea yeah do you think this was in his head and he found the pieces out of you guys to complete it or did he kind of build it responsibly to you or or did he kind of you know I I would think well one thing I I would say is one thing I would say is that once the band he was always a pretty prolific writer he wrote he had new music all the time I mean I, he's got he has hundreds and hundreds of pieces I mean I, we, we we the music that we've heard us done you've heard us do heard us done the music you've heard us do I remember we would spend a week on a tune that was hard, you know and he would just go eh <laughs> <laughs> we would spend a week playing on this he would go eh forget it <laughs> you know and it happened a lot you know um, yeah so so I, I think that the you, once he had a trumpet player that could play super high, and he wrote super high parts, you know, like he he adjusted his writing, um, you know, to to fit in a way. That, that is so, part so. two of this podcast from December of 2013. Deep focus on Ronald Shannon Jackson. My guest is Vernon Reed. I just hope you are enjoying this as much as I am. I'm having such a good time with this. And if you are, hey, tell a few folks 
click and some like us up. It's your contribution that counts every bit as much as mine or Vernon's or anybody else's. That's what you could do. Maybe you could think of something else you could do. I don't know what that would be, but that's something we could definitely use. It would help spread the word, and we will see you on the next one.